Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. If this is your first time here, uh, my name's Steve Kovitz, and as uh, Sean just uh, shared a little bit earlier, I'm the senior pastor. Um, I, I actually rebuked... Uh, Sean last week, in a fun way, um, for calling me senior pastor. I just don't like being called old. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm one of the pastors. But God humbled me, because I didn't call Sean Sean, I called him Phil. So there I am, like he's calling me the wrong thing, I'm calling him the wrong name. Um, great to have you along. couple of things. Uh, the SDAs are wonderful. Uh, Graham called them Friday, as soon as we'd heard that we couldn't get into uh, the high school that we normally meet in, and straight away, they were just like, of course, let's make this all work. And so, God bless the, the SDA church that are uh, so generous. And then, um, then all sorts of people had to get involved just to make this happen. Um, some were quite busy, lots, lots of yesterday, uh, to, to get us in here as well. So, well done to all the various teams that have us meeting here. And, and well done to you guys for finding us, uh, particularly if it's your first time here. That, that's quite amazing as well. Um, so, that's the first thing. And then... Secondly, as I wrote in the email this week, and if you don't get our weekly email, subscribe, check out the office, make sure you do get our weekly email. Happy birthday! 5th of February 2006, the public expression of the Point Community Church started back in Tacking Point Public School. You know, 15 adults, 20 kids, let's pray, let's see what God does, and here we are 17 years later. I think for our 20th, we should pull out a cake or something, shouldn't we? Um, This year... Happy birthday, and uh, praise God. It it is wonderful to see what God's done over those 17 years. And on that, I think uh, another apology. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I wrote how um, Graham, who's stepping into a senior pastor sort of role around within our church, I think I might have had a poetic license, a journalistic license, and said, when we launched uh, for the first five years, no one over the age of 55. There were a couple. You just look so young, I forgot. Um, um, sincerely, if that, that, that did upset anyone, it was part of that original crew. Um, uh, yeah, we're, we're thankful. Young and old, look at what God's been doing over all of these years. Qu- quite extraordinary. Um, and then I've been told that that phone number... So just before we get into the sermon, I'll pray and we'll get into the sermon after this. Um, that phone number is for if you want to text in questions during the sermon and then... Uh, Phil, who's really Sean, will come up and give me some of those questions. Um, but apparently the phone number is going to disappear during the sermon. So you might want to write that down if you're going to uh, text in some sermon questions. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank and praise you that you're a pursuing God, you're a loving God. We, we are people who rebel against you. Um, and yet you sent your son to save us, to rescue us. Help us hear that good news message again and afresh uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? Here's a list I put together during the week as I was thinking about this. I I want a um, healthy, life-giving marriage. I want my kids to love and serve uh, Jesus, to grow in their love and knowledge and service of God. 
I want my mum to be healed. I want our church to be full of loving relationships, taking care of each other and, and going out on mission together. What do you want from Jesus? You know, I could keep going with my list. Uh, you have your list. Lists of godly things that we want from Jesus. Things like our health, loving relationships, food, clothes, shelter, being on mission together. These are all good things to ask God for when we don't have them and good things to thank God for when we do have them. What do you want from Jesus? In today's passage, we'll see that Jesus can effortlessly supply all of our needs. But, and this is crucial, Jesus also tells us that he did not come to give us all that we need. See, so Jesus can supply all of our needs effortlessly. But Jesus did not come to be a genie in a bottle. Jesus has one clear and crucial mission. Jesus came to rescue us from hell. So my opening question is very important. What do you want from Jesus? Now today we're going to see that the crowds came to Jesus for more signs. That they came to Jesus because they wanted more of the miracles. We then see Jesus test his followers. And then we also see Jesus be patient and kind. And so there are three headings uh, for this morning. The crowds wanted more signs, firstly. Secondly, Jesus tests our desires. And thirdly and finally, Jesus is patient and kind and determined. That's where we're headed. And firstly, crowds wanted more signs. Uh, last week, Phil reminded us that uh, sign is another word for miracle in John's Gospel. There are seven signs in John's Gospel. Actually, eight, if you include the, the longer sign right at the very end, Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, this week, we're looking at sign four and sign five in the order of John's Gospel. And the thing about signs is that they are just signs. A tourist might take a selfie in front of our Port Macquarie sign out there at the donut, but there would be something wrong if they camped out at the sign, thinking the sign was Port Macquarie, sign was the destination. This is why John calls miracles signs. Signs are just signs. We're supposed to get to the destination that the sign is pointing to. Miracles are just miracles. We're supposed to get to the destination that the miracle is pointing. Last week, the sign miracle was Jesus instantly healing a man that had been paralyzed for 38 years. Extraordinary. And yet, there were still some that wanted to kill Jesus because of that sign. The miracle, the sign, is pointing toward Jesus being equal with God. Certain religious leaders couldn't cope with that. They wanted to kill Jesus. 
What did they want from Jesus? They wanted Jesus to support their faulty view of God. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't support their faulty view of God, and so they wanted to kill Jesus. And so Jesus had to leave that crowd. Which brings us to our passage for this week, John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so now you can see where I got the heading from. The crowd, they were crossing land and sea. They were following Jesus because of the signs that he was doing on the sick. This is the second time we're told that crowds follow Jesus because of the signs. Uh, the first one is at the end of John chapter 2. Go home and read it. And it's actually a negative take on the crowd following Jesus because of signs. Uh, we're told at the end of John chapter 2, and, and Jesus did not entrust himself to people. And so there's a negative sort of connotation to following Jesus just for signs. Here in John chapter 6, I'm not sure, are you? Uh, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it, is it just neutral? Is, is it a good thing that the crowds were following Jesus for signs? Is, is it a bad thing the crowds were following Jesus for signs? Is it just commentary? They were following Jesus because of the signs. Why do I bring this up? It's a theme. God wants us asking the question. It's a theme in John's Gospel. We're told that the crowds follow Jesus because of these signs. What do you want from Jesus? That's our first point. Our second point is uh, Jesus tests our desires. Read from verse 3 with me. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, now Philip is one of Jesus' close disciples, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. That's like six or seven months worth of wages would not be able to buy enough food to even give a little bit to this massive crowd that is in front of us. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Um, we're talking small picnic basket at best. It might have even just been enough for a meal for one person for lunch, maybe not even two. I don't even know what Andrew was thinking. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So we're probably talking a crowd of 20,000 people. Add in the women, add in the children. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. How wonderful is it 
to see Jesus' gut reaction to the crowd. They've got to be hungry and I want to feed them. What a beautiful reaction from King Jesus. And then to really top it off, Jesus' miraculous God power is on full display. Jesus can turn a sandwich into a meal, a banquet for 20,000 people. What a sign. What a miracle. But what does the sign point to? Well, for starters, it points to Jesus' God-sized generosity. Jesus did not simply supply sustenance. (laughs) Jesus supplied abundance. Jesus lavished the crowd with more food than they could eat. So not only is Jesus compassionate, not only did he look and go, wow, they're hungry. Jesus lavished them with more food than they could eat. Last week we read about Jesus healing a paralyzed man. This week we're seeing Jesus abundantly feed 20,000 people. In the next passage in John chapter 6, go home and read it. We see Jesus walk on water and rescue his close followers from a storm. What do all these signs point to? Jesus can instantaneously heal any disease. Jesus can instantaneously feed and end poverty. Jesus can instantaneously walk on water and rescue us from natural disaster. These signs provocatively and unambiguously point to the fact that Jesus is God and that he has more power than we can imagine. So, let's take a breath in amongst all of that excitement of healing paralysis, feeding 20,000, rescuing people from a natural disaster. And just remember, what are we doing? We're asking the question, what do you want from Jesus? We need to ask this question because... In verse 6, we're told that Jesus was testing the disciples with this miracle. Now, the disciples failed. The disciples straight away thought, oh, we've got to send the crowd away. That's how they can be fed. They need to go fend for themselves. Or we, we need to find a bunch of money so we could buy enough food. The last thing they were thinking about is Jesus miraculously feeding them. And then we need to ask the question as well, because we're about to see that the crowd also followed the test, uh, failed the test. We're going to see that just like last week when Jesus had to leave the crowd, this week Jesus also left the crowd. Next week we're going to come and, and see also on this theme of the signs and the crowds following that the crowds that follow Jesus just for the signs all leave Jesus. And so this is an important question. What, what do you want from Jesus? You see, Jesus is God. There is only one God. That There's only one God in the whole universe. All the other gods we might hear, they're fake. 
There is one God, and he exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has all the power of God. Jesus can heal and provide and protect with power we cannot imagine. And yes, Jesus is also compassionate. Jesus deeply and perfectly loves people. Last week we heard that Jesus healed that paralyzed man that no one was interested in. This week we see Jesus feed a hungry crowd. Jesus is compassionate and powerful. And here's where we need to shift into our last point. Jesus is patient and kind and determined. You see, we're, we're constantly seeing as we turn the pages of John's gospel, Jesus' patience and kindness. Last week, we saw how some in the crowd wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus, who is the Son of God. He's got all the power in the whole world. And instead of smoking them, Jesus just removed himself patiently, kindly goes to another town and, and gets on with his determined mission. Let's read from verse 14, and, and we, again we're going to see Jesus' patience and kindness. Verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. We'll deal with that in a sec. Perceiving them then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, why did the crowd want to make Jesus king? Well, throughout the entire Old Testament, God promised that he is going to send his king. And so maybe the crowd was just power hungry. They want the king, finally, to stick it to the Romans that they were in subjection to. Or maybe the crowd simply wanted a king who would bring peace and protection, justice and mercy. Maybe what they wanted from Jesus is exactly what you and I want from Jesus. Peace, protection, food, clothing, healing. Now here's the thing. This week, the crowd is 100% for Jesus. This isn't like last week where someone wanted to kill Jesus. This crowd is for Jesus. And Jesus still walked away from the crowd. Why? Brother, sister, it's vitally important we ask the question, what do we want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? What do I want from Jesus? The crowd in John chapter 6 rightly recognised that Jesus is the prophet that God promised hundreds of years beforehand. We, we heard about the prophet in... Uh, um, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Yeah, Deuteronomy 18, the first Bible reading. And we also heard about it in our prayer, didn't we? Norman must have done his research and knew where we were headed in prayer time. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, Moses is leading God's people uh, at a massive time in Jewish history. And we hear about this promised prophet from God. You see, way back then, Moses was the great leader of God's people. Moses led God's people out of slavery 
This is the story of Exodus, arguably the most powerful redemption story in the whole Old Testament. God leads one million people out of brutal slavery. Now, if you don't know the story, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the entire world back then. And they held Israel in hard slavery. And so God rained plagues down on Egypt. Disease, pestilence, even death. (laughs) And, And so one million people, the Israelites, they end up just walking out of Egypt. The Egyptians are throwing their gold at them. Go on, get out of here. The most powerful redemption story in the Old Testament. And Moses was God's appointed leader back then. And after Moses led Israel out of slavery, Moses told Israel, there will be a greater prophet than me to come. He will be the prophet. And so we grab that and we bring it into John chapter 6, where the crowd recognized that Jesus is the prophet that God promised. And so, of course, they want to march Jesus up to his coronation and make him king. They want to be led out from their slavery. They they want to be released from captivity, just as God promised. The crowd's desire was biblically justified. And yet, Jesus still walked away from this crowd. Why did Jesus slip away? Well, surely part of the answer is it wasn't time for Jesus to be ground king. As you read the Gospels, any of them, uh, we see that Jesus and Jesus alone determines his mission. He will be crowned king after his death and resurrection. Jesus is in control of his coronation. That's part of the answer. But the whole answer isn't just timing. There is also a purpose to Jesus' mission. You see, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus did heal the sick, feed the hungry, avert disaster. Jesus even raised the dead. But Jesus did not come to be a genie in a bottle. Jesus' purpose was to rescue people from hell. Come with me to another chapter in John, John, John 18. Just flip over a couple of pages. John 18, verse 36. And to get the context here, John 18, verse 36, um, the Jewish religious leaders finally got their way. Jesus is arrested. They hate Jesus, they want to kill Jesus, but they're not allowed to kill Jesus because they're they're under Roman rule. And so they need this guy, Pilate, to sign off on Jesus' execution. And so Pilate starts to question Jesus. You know, why do your people want to kill you? And, And Jesus gives this answer, verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom. Ah, Jesus refers to his kingdom. Jesus sees himself as a king, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus is king. But his kingdom is not of this world. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom will need eternity to appreciate. And yes, Jesus is mighty. He can instantly heal paralysis. He can instantly turn a sandwich into a supermarket. He can instantly rescue out of a storm. 
Grapple with the implications. Jesus can instantly end world poverty. Jesus can instantly deal with global climate change. Jesus can instantly destroy all his enemies. Jesus can instantly stop a hurricane or even a mini hurricane. What are we calling that thing on Friday? Jesus can raise dead people to life. Not only can he do those things, Jesus did those things. So why doesn't Jesus always do those things? Because Jesus is king. And his kingdom is not of this world. That does not mean Jesus is not in control of this world. That does not mean that Jesus doesn't care about this world. It means Jesus' mission is so much more than this world. More than paralysis, more than floods, more than drought, more than cancer, more than divorce, more than terrorists, more than nuclear war, more than poverty. Jesus is the patient, kind and determined king. His kingdom is beyond our comprehension. Jesus' kingdom is eternal. You see, there is eternal paradise. And there is eternal hell. And Jesus is determined to rescue his followers from hell. It leaves the question, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, but what about now? What about today? What about this very moment? It is natural. It is normal. It is biblical to want health and safety and food and clothing and safe relationships. We know that Jesus is patient and kind. And so, of course, we ask for our daily needs Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. And so perhaps it's the Lord's Prayer that most helps us grapple with this tension. The the tension of living in this world of sickness, paralysis, of of the hungry and the poor, and of natural disasters. How, How do we live in this world with all of that, knowing that Jesus can do this? Perhaps it's the Lord's Prayer that helps us. The way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The Father over all. Our Father in heaven. We lift our eyes to you. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. There is a weight to you, Father. You are holy and glorious and majestic. Father, would you help me feel that weight? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. I've got a lot of ideas about my kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
That's the way Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers. And then, I think, and then, and then when you know, our head and our heart and our hands is being captured by the glory of God and that everything is for Him, then Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Father, I'm struggling in my marriage. Father, I'm struggling with my kids. Father, I'm struggling with my parents. Father, I'm struggling in my workplace. Like, pray your daily prayers. And if we get this bit right first, as we put all of this on the table, maybe Jesus is going to help us pray like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet not my will, but your will. You see, Jesus is king. He's king of kings. And he's the king of the kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus is king. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. And it's just a fact that in this life, you and I will not always understand why Jesus allows the horrors when he can stop them. But this we can know for certain. Jesus is in control. Evil is not in control. Jesus is. Jesus is king. What do you want from Jesus? Any questions? No, I'm going to pray and then the band's going to come up. Father, who is in heaven, our Father, who is in heaven, it is extraordinary that we, your finite and feeble people, get to call you the Almighty Father. We thank you for your good news of salvation through your Son. And Father, would you help us lift our eyes and taste and see you in all of your glory? And would that be enough? to help us get through this life. Father, would you teach us today to be satisfied with the daily bread that you provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au